Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. want to introduce a Greek word to you today that in the English language you are well familiar with that word in fact you've heard it so so many times but I wonder do you know what the actual Greek rendering of that word is and what it's all about because in the Greek language it is altogether deeper and much more broader in scope than we have given it credit in the English language. And the word that I want to bring to your attention is the New Testament word, truth. You've heard it a thousand times. In fact, you know so many verses where this word appears in, for instance, uh, Jesus' word, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You also know, again, John 8, where it says, You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Again, there in John's Gospel in chapter 1, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, even Pilate asked, What is truth? And I want to ask you this question today, What is truth? In our modern understanding of truth, we would say, well, truth is the opposite of error. Truth is a kind of a philosophical um, surety, if you will, where error is the opposite of that philosophical surety. And we may ask, does the New Testament word encapsulate that philosophical surety? Yeah, but it's so much more. The New Testament word for truth is the Greek word aletheia. And it means truth, yeah, but only insofar it is reality. And that's what we want to introduce you to today. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and you will know the truth, and that grace and truth came through Jesus, He's not referring to a mere philosophical understanding of truth versus error. It's much deeper than that, although it encompasses that. What the Lord is trying to say, and you will see in the upcoming speaking, the Lord is trying to say, I am the one who can realize things for you. Outside of me, you have only a philosophy, a sketch on a drawing board. You have a law code. But I am the one, I am the truth, I am the one that can make these things factual, actual, substantial. And the actual word for truth, I'm the one who can make it real for you.
John chapter 8, verse 31. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, If you abide in My word, you are truly My disciples. And saints, I want to say that at Legacy School of Discipleship, there's no greater recommendation that I can give to you than to simply abide in the Word of Jesus Christ. I encourage you to get into the Gospels. I encourage you to get into the Word of the Lord. But notice verse 32 and 36 in particular. Jesus says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Marvelous. So beautiful. Here you see God's heart. He wants you to know the truth. And that truth is to work in you. To what end? Freedom. God wants you to know. That means at one time you're ignorant. God wants you free. That means... To some extent, we're in bondage. So notice the two things the Lord wants to do. Enlighten you and free you so that you can see and live. Marvelous verse. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So how do we get freedom? Through truth. Amen. If you know the truth, freedom is your experience. The absence of truth, bondage is your experience. Truth is the light of God in your being. If there's darkness in your being, bondage is my experience. If light floods into my constitution... Freedom and life should be my experience. So let me ask you this. For how long have you known the truth? And to what extent are you walking in the freedom because of that truth? The proof that truth is in you is a lifestyle of freedom. When was the last time you really met a free person? Even check with your own experiences. How many bondages have gripped and plagued and crippled you and I? And yet we all day long say, I know the truth. I know the truth. I know Jesus. I raised my hand. I took a knee. I came forward. I went to camp. I've been to church. Do you even know what the word truth is all about? Or if you bought into the idea that truth is a kind of a teaching, truth is a kind of philosophy, it's a kind of a doctrine, a theory, it's a kind of a right versus wrong. I think what many of us have done is we've treated Jesus as just a kind of a truth, an abstract truth. 
but he means nothing to me pertaining to my lifestyle. But intellectually, I believe. But in my lifestyle, I'm stuck in sin. What happens to so many of us, we live in a culture where Jesus is presented as the truth. Not Buddha. Not Muhammad. So you and I grow up in a culture that promotes the truth of Jesus. And we think that when we believe Jesus is the truth, Buddha is not, we're in. That's it. We know the truth. But I want you to notice, the truth needs to do something for you. It's not just an intellectual thing where you agree or acquiesce or comply with the standards of your household or your church family or your culture. What God is after is not that just we raise our hand and say we believe. What He's after is reality. Freedom as a lifestyle. That's the gospel, by the way. What so many of us have bought into is just the Jesus theory, but not the indwelling Lord. When was the last time you were truly free? Met a truly free person. I'm not saying sinless. We all sin. Come on. We all make mistakes. You get angry. I get impatient. We all blow it in so many ways. But we can still, even though we're human and we miss it from time to time, does the world still have a grip on you and dictate you and manipulate you? And your obsession is for the world and sin and cravings and addictions and habits and mindsets. I am hard-pressed to really meet a person who's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet everybody believes. The book of James says even the demons believe. So y'all, it's not just an issue of right belief. The gospel is an issue of reality. You and I treat truth as a philosophy, as a concept, as a doctrine, as the most acceptable thing for our culture. But the biblical definition of truth is a little deeper. It's the word reality. If you know the reality of God, not the theory, the reality, then the reality sets you free. And how do you know you're in the reality of God? Well, show me your free life. Show me your free life.
Freedom does not mean recklessness. You've got to understand again what freedom means. Freedom from the power and manipulation of sin. Freedom from your inferiority complex. Freedom from shame, and guilt, fear. Freedom from your identity that is all out of whack. Freedom from the world having a place in you, a grip on you, a sway over you. Freedom from other people's manipulative techniques in your life and agendas. A truly free person. This is what Jesus wants. He wants you to live in this planet by His indwelling life in a free way. Not a reckless, unregulated way. Definitely regulated by God. But free from the, the fangs influence the manipulation of sin. In other words, an overcomer. Yes, they struggle, but there's a spirit of an overcomer. They're free. They obey God so easily and readily and promptly and even sacrificially. They speak for the Lord tactfully, timely, confidently. So you and I's gospel has become, by and large, a theoretical thing. We believe in Jesus versus Buddha. It's just a kind of a cultural thing. That's not what the New Testament's all about. Notice here. If therefore the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. How free are you from your culture's influence? How free are you from religion? How free are you from customs and traditions? Do you still feel guilty? Do you feel condemned? Is forgiveness your reality? How many of you know that you know that you know that you know you belong to God? And you actually enjoy life with God? That's proof That Christ is in you as reality. Truth as reality, not just truth as a concept. Go to John chapter 1. This is what John's gospel is about. It's that Jesus is not just another rabbi. He's not just another Messiah figure. He's not just another kind of a teacher, philosopher, miracle worker. What John is hinting at as he portrays Jesus to us in his gospel, with this man, God has become real to us. Not just a law, a devotion, a set of rules. This is how he's presenting Jesus to us. Notice verse 14. And the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. We beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. And then notice His definition a little bit of this one in the flesh. He says, this one who came in the flesh, this Word, is full of grace and truth. 
That word truth is the word reality. You might do well to even in your Bible take a little pencil and circle that word truth and just make a note. Reality. He didn't just bring the word which is good teaching and good philosophy and good doctrines. The word brought grace. What is grace? Grace is the supply of God. And it brought the reality of God with that grace. See, you and I treat Jesus as an argument. We even have this thing in Christendom called apologetics. We defend his sayings and defend his historicity. And we defend the miracles. And we treat it kind of like a doctrine in a textbook. And what John is saying is that the word brought grace. What is grace? Grace is the rich supply of God. And reality, that is truth. Jesus is more than a concept. He's an experience. He's an indwelling reality. That's a marvelous verse. So how much grace is in you? How much reality is in you? That's proof that you're just in a concept or in the person of Christ. Today, I want to minister to you an exodus out of just a concept and an entrance into a person. We have to have a crossing, saints, from just a right belief system to an indwelling Lord. Are you with me? Look at verse 17. Well, verse 16 is so beautiful also. For of His fullness, notice this Christ this word that became flesh, he brings the fullness of God. Of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. If you're so bold, you might even circle those words grace. What is grace? Grace is the heavenly supply of God. You've received the supply upon the supply. You see there intensification. The Lord wants to intensify His supply into your being. God doesn't want you to just know the right teaching or the right concept or the, the, the right answer. He wants you to live by His supply. What is grace? Grace is just God's nature supplying you. Grace is the Spirit of God. Grace is the anointing of God. Grace is the richness of God in man. And notice there, grace upon grace. Isn't that beautiful? You don't get just grace the day that you get born again. Grace is a kind of a lifestyle. And then notice this verse 17. For the law was given through Moses... What did Moses give us? The supply of the law. Ordinances. Commandments. This is what Moses supplied. But notice what this Jesus supplies. Here's the word again. Grace. And reality came through Jesus Christ. Can somebody say, Thank you, Lord! Most of you still live under Moses where you live under just a kind of an ordinance, a kind of a belief system, 
a stone commandment. But Jesus didn't bring a stone commandment. He brought grace. He brought reality. That word reality in most of our translations is the word truth. And yes, Jesus is the truth. Amen, he's the truth. Buddha is not. Joseph Smith is not. Muhammad is not. By the way, if you disagree, just keep quiet. Buddha is not the truth. Amen. I love the conviction. Appreciate. Buddha is not the truth. Amen. Muhammad is not the truth. Amen. Confucius is not the truth. Amen. Jesus, of course, is the truth. Amen. His teachings are true. But saints, there's a lot of good nuggets in Confucius. Buddha even has a few good things to say. But y'all, that's not the gospel. It's which one had the better sayings. And I, I'm so afraid that so many of us just pick the Jesus sayings versus the Muhammad sayings. The issue is not who's got the most clever, theologically sound sayings. The issue is Jesus wants to be grace and reality. Grace and reality. You know, when we lived in the Old Testament, we were just about shadows all day long. Sacrifices and priests and offerings and rituals and formalism. God showed up, if we're lucky, once a year. That's about all the interaction we had with God. But by and large, God was just a kind of a abstract, out there figure. But the New Testament saints, that's why it's good news. And the book of Hebrews says it's a better covenant. Because God is not just an out there God, but an indwelling supply, reality, life. That's the good news. The good news is not just your sin being eradicated. I think for most of us, the gospel is just an issue of sin. No! It's an issue of indwelling. Sin is just the issues of your wrongdoing. But the deeper heart of God is not just to clear your wrongdoing, but to become one with you. When was the last time you heard that gospel? Yes, and there are so many of us who raised our hands to have our sins forgiven, but we still wonder, are we really forgiven? Am I really favored? Does God really love me? That's why most Christians, and especially you young people, you want to hear just messages on love. Please tell me God loved me. Can you remind me? It's because you're wondering still. That means, yeah, God is just a theory a means for your sins forgiven, but you don't have the reality of forgiveness. You don't have the knowing that's on a kind of a rock. So your feelings very much still dictate God for you. So can you see the dilemma? That's why we're useless for the Lord's testimony on this earth. Everybody's got the truth of Jesus, but really do you have the testimony of Jesus?
Christ in me. John chapter 14. This is about those who believe dwell in God and God wants to dwell in you. It's about oneness, intimacy, reality. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I am coming again and I will receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. The context is the Father's bosom. Jesus came out of the Father. He's going to the Father to prepare a place in the very being of God. Then Jesus is coming to swoop us up and bring us into the bosom of the Father. Most of you think Jesus is going to prepare a mansion for you. He's not going to build golf courses and mansions for us. He's going to, in God the Father, in God's heart, in God's bosom, make a place for us. That's the context. And where I'm going, you know the way. In other words, I'm going to the Father. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? So Jesus said, I am the way. The way to what? The Father. And then he says, I am the truth. But saints, that word is not just I'm the right teaching to God the Father. I am the reality of God the Father. I'm the one who makes God real to you. Not a philosophy, not an argument, reality. I am the life. I'm the one who enlivens you and dispenses the rich life of God. How alive are we today? That's just proof that Jesus is your reality or not. This is serious stuff. I'm the way, I'm the reality, I'm the life. And then notice here, no one comes to the Father. The issue here is not mansions. It's not evangelism. It's intimacy. God wants to be real to you. How? Through Jesus the Christ. Jesus as a teaching? No, Jesus as grace. Jesus as reality. There is so much that I still want to unpack for you regarding this Greek word aletheia. I trust that you understand that Jesus in teaching, Jesus in concept, and Jesus in philosophy is the truth. But that's not entirely what John the writer is hinting at. He's trying to impress upon his audience that Jesus is so much more than just a new philosophy. He's actually a living person that can make God real to you. He is God in the flesh, and that when you have the Son, you have the reality of God. But I want to conclude just our brief time here together by telling you a little bit about church history. 
All throughout church history, there has been a crusade for truth. That is the teachings of Jesus versus, let's say, the teachings of Muhammad or, let's say, Buddha. And rightfully so, the teachings of Jesus is divine. What the Lord said and the way that he explained God, it is the truth. But in church history, if you ever have a time to just read a little bit, then you will understand that people went to war in the name of truth, and they killed those that were in opposition, those that were, let's say, in error, those who believed another version of the truth. We would say that in a way, and, and hear me carefully, they went to war you know, under this banner of the cross, under this banner of, of, of Christ, under this banner of truth. They, they went to, to war in, 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 in good truth, but they did not go in reality. I'm reminded of uh, James and John, where the Samaritan people did not receive the message of Jesus. And uh, the Lord's disciples, James and John, said, should we just call down fire the way that Elijah did and, and just have God absolutely obliterate the Samaritans? Because that would be a good thing. That would, that would honor God. This is the truth. Elijah burned people. Let's burn the Samaritans. And the Lord's word to them was, no. You don't know what spirit you are of. In other words, even though you, you've read about God burning people in the Old Testament under the ministry of Elijah, uh, Jesus brings to us the spirit of God the heart of God, and James and John did not have that heart. They had that crusader mentality of just truth. we got to stand for truth, even if I have to kill you. You have to understand it's, it's for the love of God. It's for the honor of God. I have to kill you because you're a heretic. And sorry to say, all throughout church history, more people have died in the name of truth under the hands and under the, the fire of many a James and many a John, many a man and woman of God of thunder. And Jesus would say to us, you are not in the reality of God. You've clung to a kind of a verse. You've clung to a kind of a truth. And yes, that is the truth. But sorry to say, in church history, there has mostly just been the advancing of, in a way, truth. We even think of the Reformation under Luther was really a, a revolution of truth. Um, so much truth came to the, to the light, and Luther and Zwingli and all of those early reformers, you can go study it, I don't want to belabor the point, but they actually went to war with one another over their variances in truth. I think, for instance, of Luther, and I think of Zwingli, that in 13 of 14 points, they agreed with one another. But on the 14th point, you know, that whole issue of communion, they could not agree. And Luther and Zwingli would call each other literally the incarnation of Satan. They condemned each other and demonized each other with the most horrible language. Why? Because Zwingli didn't see truth and Luther didn't see truth eye to eye. And so they vilified each other because of the truth issue. In the New Testament, when Christ comes, he did not just give us something to fight about. 
He didn't give us another kind of a crusade. He came to baptize us in the love of God, baptize us in the reality of the mercy and grace of God. Church history is less a history of the reality of God, and it's more a history of just truth. And every now and again, God did bring about a man, and He did bring about a woman who were the incarnation of truth. That is, Christ came into them and realized God into them, and that they lived out actually the gospel. We have many of those in church history, but they all got burned. They all were uh, labeled heretic. They were written off and were condemned to the gallows, to crosses, to the stake. Church history is ugly because of this grand pursuit of truth. Beloved, I challenge you today to not only pursue truth, oh yes, let's be very clear, truth is nevertheless truth, but you cannot be a crusader for truth at the expense of the man of truth, Jesus Christ, living that in you, and he himself being the reality of that truth. <music>